Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash, and you're listening to episode 230 of Chat Disney. to another episode of the chat disney podcast and i'm very excited because we are starting a new mini series i feel like a mini series is something that we actually haven't really done in quite a long time on the chat disney podcast not including july which is food and wine month over here on chat disney so we are going to be focusing all about costuming in this mini series and particularly with the disney princesses so we're going to be kicking it off this week with looking at the classic princesses But before we get into that, let's have a quick look at what has been happening in the world of Disney this week. Kicking off with our most local park, Disneyland Paris. And this August, Disneyland Paris will be opening bookings for UK guests through to March 2025. So I think I definitely want to go back to Disneyland Paris in 2025. So this is something that I'm very excited about and I'm going to start having a look at dates soon. Very, very exciting. And it's a really slow news week this week, but we do have some news from Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And we've had a first look at Elsa's brand new costume for Fantasmic. And I love that the Walt Disney World version of Fantasmic has had a bit of a facelift. It's got some new scenes, some new characters being added. And we do get to see Frozen uh, Frozen 2 elements. So Elsa is wearing her Frozen 2 outfit the white outfit that we see at the end of the movie which is really exciting and this week is world princess week or it was last week and to celebrate this there were a few exciting food items from Walt Disney World which we always love to see there was a brand new Moana cupcake that was a dedication to the heart of Tafiti it looks like the island of Tafiti which was really really cool and perhaps even more impressive Beaches and Cream brought out a new milkshake this milkshake is epic honestly I think it could probably feed a family of four and it's inspired by Ariel so as you can imagine it's got green purple red really really vibrant amazing looking milkshake and that is pretty much everything that's been happening in the world of disney this week we are now heading into the main part of today's episode talking about the classic princess and their costumes So as we said in today's intro, we are embarking on a new mini series looking at princess costuming, which is really, really exciting. Love a Disney princess, love a costume, love a look. We're excited to get into it. And we're going to break this series up into four sections. And today we are looking at the classic Disney princess. So we're going to be covering the three original princesses from Walt Disney's era, Snow White, Cinderella, and of course, Sleeping Beauty herself, Aurora. We're going to be talking about their costumes, talking about style influences. I'm really excited to get into it. So should we get started with Snow White, the one that started them all? Let's. So Snow White, I think I could be wrong here. Definitely out of the classics of most of the Disney princesses, she only has two costumes, right? She has her rags and then she has her golden and blue ensemble. But she's in her rags for quite a majority of the film, I want to say. Um, Oh, no, I disagree. She's in the other dress. She gets out of the rags really quickly. Yeah, that's true, actually. I was just, oh, do you know what? As I was saying that, I was thinking that. And forgive me here, where does she get that yellow skirt from? I mean, it's not clear. So we see her. So no, it's actually the other way around. So we see her cleaning in the castle in the rags, which kind of doesn't make sense because she is a princess. And we, I guess we, we, we guess just as viewers that it's because she's probably got a not very positive relationship with the evil queen in the same way that Cinderella doesn't have a good relationship with her stepmother. But we see Snow White in the castle in the rags cleaning And then when she's taken to the forest by the hunter, she's in her proper princess attire. So unlike Cinderella, it seems she does have access to finery in the castle, being that she's a princess. But for whatever reason it is, she does do chores. Um, And yeah, we see her in that rags outfit for just that one scene, actually. That is is right. And I mean, like, let's talk about those rags. I mean, they couldn't be more 
rags than rags, could they? I mean, I, I always refer to cin- cinders, Cinderella's um, kind of cleaning outfit as rags, but in comparison to poor Snow White, I mean, come on. It's that horrible, dull, dingy brown colour. You've got those white puff sleeves, which kind of follow through into when she has the blue bodice on her top. She's got that same those same puff sleeves. But she's got patches, there are holes, it's raggedy, she's got them horrible clogs. I think out of all the Disney princess outfits, this is by far the worst. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. And obviously, as we said, she only gets to wear two dresses as well. So really tragic that one of them is as hideous as it is. Um, interestingly, there's I mean, it was very it was a different time, right? So this movie came out in 1937. It was developed in the early 1930s. And back then, artists didn't tend to sign their concept art in the same way that they do now. So, you know, you'll have all seen concept art of Beauty and the Beast, where there's a blonde Gaston or there's a beast that looks like a warthog or whatever it might be, we really don't have very much access to that early concept art for Snow White. And what's really fascinating is there's actually only one piece of concept art that that depicts Snow White in the rags. And they look pretty much exactly the same as the rags that we see in the final piece. So it's really difficult to know kind of where the inspiration for her look came from. But when it comes to the the yellow dress that Tash was just talking about and the, the dress that she wears for the majority of the movie, the yellow and blue and red dress, we do know a little bit more. So as I said, 1930s is when Disney started thinking about this movie. It came out in 1937. And I think her hair is probably the thing that kind of connotes this the most. It's that real 1920s flapper style hair. I don't think if they were developing a Disney princess today, that they they would do a hairstyle like that. It is very, very reminiscent of the time. Apparently, it was um, inspired by an actress called Rochelle Hudson. If you give her a quick Google, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I see that. It's the exact same hair. Now, this is really interesting. And I wonder, Tash, if if you all have um, thought of this. For me, when I think about, and I'm, I'm leading you down a bit of a path here, so I'm probably making it super obvious, but when you think about kind of 1930s cartoons and particularly Snow White's hair, is there any other character that kind of springs to mind in your in your head? The only character that I think of is like Betty Boop, that kind of hair. Yeah, exactly that. And when I was um, doing research for this episode, I thought of Betty Boop immediately, right? She came out in 1930. She's the ultimate pinup kind of cartoon and her hair is like exactly the same as Snow White. I was like, surely Betty Boop inspired Snow White's character design and costuming. And I did not know this. This is like absolutely fascinating. But when Disney was hiring animators to work on Snow White, he hired Grim Natwick, who was the animator behind Betty Boop. So they're actually designed by the same person. So again, even less surprising that she's got this 1920s black flapper hairstyle, which is really reminiscent of the time. Now, the dress is an interesting one. So her dress in all of the early concept art looks exactly the same, which is wild. So we see there's concept art of Snow White with pigtails, braids, blonde hair, which is odd because obviously in the original Brothers Grimm, they say hair as black as ebony. So I don't know why there's concept art of her with blonde hair, but there is. But the dress is exactly the same in all concept art. These very big puff sleeves, that big collar that's almost Tudor in style. Um, and it's very odd because for me, that 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 design is not 1920s, 1930s at all. It's very kind of Italian Renaissance, very 16th century. I just found it odd that that was the first choice for the dress. Yeah, that does strike me as odd, but I guess, you know, it's the one that started them all, I guess, maybe in those days, like they didn't go through too many versions of, of these things. They kind of like stuck with an idea um, or maybe they just really liked it. I I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that is it's it's very unheard of when you compare to how these characters have developed today and the changes and process that they go through. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting as well is like, maybe they were trying to depict a time and a place. As I already mentioned, Snow White's not an original Disney character, right? She's a Brothers Grimm character. So Brothers Grimm predates Disney. 
but it's the mix of time periods that's quite strange. So as I say, that kind of those puff sleeves with the slashes, they're very kind of Italian Renaissance. They make me think about like Romeo and Juliet. Um, and then that doesn't gel with like that stiff collar that makes me think of like the Elizabethan era almost. And then there's, yeah, there are other elements of the dress that have bodice, like the bodice is quite an 1800s. Like it's just for me, it's a bit of a hodgepodge of a dress. It just, it, it, it does give history and I guess it gives European. We know that the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs movie, the Disney version is meant to be set in Germany. So maybe they were going for that kind of European royal medieval almost vibe um but yeah it's weird to me because I think that all of the different elements of the dress together don't quite go together now interestingly the color is something that we don't see in the concept art because it's all black and white fine pencil drawing and what's really interesting is that actually originally they used much subtler colors so the yellow was a pale yellow the blue was like a sky blue it was very muted very toned down but actually when disney were testing the colors and looking at snow white in situ with the landscapes and so on they felt that the bright colors looked better but i again the primary colors yellow blue and red weird choices i, I think for me they are. They are very, very bold, especially when you compare her to the rest of the classic princesses. I mean, I know there's only three, right? But we tend to, with them, as we will talk about, we kind of stick to one colour really per outfit. So having like a match of colours here is quite... Um, and colours as well that, yeah, wouldn't normally go together. And it seems quite unlike for that time as well I can imagine it would be a bit of a bold statement for when it came out yeah I agree I guess like there's nothing to really compare it to as well because like you said it was the first one so they don't know what they're doing at that point it's very normal now when a new Disney princess comes out that you know Rapunzel has a purple dress Tiana has a green dress like we from the marketing and the kind of franchise of the Disney princess we kind of come to expect that whereas Snow White you know the sky was the limit they could do whatever the hell they wanted um the only other thing I really wanted to say about Snow White was again it kind of speaks to what we were just saying she was obviously the first Disney princess and one of the first human characters depicted by the Walt Disney Company. And getting that style right was a bit of a risk for them. And initially, in some of the concept art, you can really see that the creator of Betty Boop was the person animating her because the eyes have these almost spider-like lashes and that real kind of, again, 1920s, 1930s, early style of, of animation. Um, and somehow they got to where they did with this hyper-real human-looking princess, which I'm really, really grateful that they did because otherwise our Disney princesses today might look quite different. One reference they did have when it came to creating her physique and how she looked was the live action referencing. So this is something that I'm sure all of you are familiar with, but when the Disney company were creating these movies in the beginning, Walt Disney insisted that any scene involving a human character should be shot first in live action before animated. And this was because animation was so expensive. He didn't want them to create scenes that they didn't necessarily already know would work. So he wanted to have high confidence and he felt that filming everybody in live action first would help with that confidence and we'll see that again continue in some of the other princesses that we're going to talk about anything else to add about Snow White Tash I mean how did you feel about Snow White's dress when you were a little girl I mean Snow White I remember was one of the first Barbie dolls that I had and she had her rags and then she also came with the golden yellow skirt so you could put that on around the top of the rag so it was slightly different to how it was in the film the rags was kind of made up it was blue rather than brown like it is in the movie um but yeah I think as a little girl I just loved that golden skirt because it was so big on my Barbie anyway it's not so big in the in the movie um now I'm older, I think, and I have points of comparison with some of the other costumes and costumes that we see later on. Um, I kind of give or take Snow White. So it's certainly not one that I would wear. I think if I was ever going to dress up as a Disney princess, Snow White would not be the one that I do. Um, my only other point that I want to add is I cannot believe I've never made the connection between Snow White and Betty Boop because, like you say, those big 
eyes and those spidery eyelashes and I can almost picture that like kind of facial expression Snow White does where she looks shocked and it's like a bit of like an O mouth that is very very Betty Boop I can't believe I've never made that connection before yeah it's funny isn't it I was thinking about it when it was her hair because I was I was sort of preparing for for what we were going to talk about in today's episode and hair for me as again a bit of a spoiler but hair is definitely one of the things that I think with all of the different Disney princesses gives the time period away like you can really tell like you just you know that flap of hair and then I was yeah I was just thinking like hang on a second Betty Boop has that hair as well and then yeah it led me on a bit of a tangent and I discovered that it's the same person which which makes complete sense and yeah less spidery I mean Betty Boop's got like tarantula lashes but again Snow White's definitely got more spider like eyelashes than any other Disney princess so there we go it's interesting for me I don't particularly like Snow White as a character she's one of my least favorite Disney princesses but I do have a really really soft spot for her dress and it's because I don't know if I've even ever told you this Tash and um, my first ever world book day in reception my nanny actually made me a snow white dress and because it was homemade it had the proper proper puff sleeves and the proper rigid collar that you just you don't see unfortunately on the kind of manufactured Disney princess dresses that we see and yeah she made it out of an old blue kind of ribbed t-shirt that was the bodice and then she sewed these huge light blue satin um puff sleeves I wish I still had this dress honestly um and yeah the the yellow skirt and um I was running around in the playground and I tripped over the skirt and like grazed my nose. And this was a thing I used to do every summer. I don't know why I would always come home from school with a grazed nose where I'd fallen over. Um, But yeah, so I, as much as, you know, it wouldn't be my go-to choice for like the ultimate Disney princess dress. I do have an incredibly soft spot for it in my, in my heart, just because of that experience as a little girl. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah. Let's move on to our next Disney princess, who is obviously 1950s Cinderella. And this is where, as Mercedes said, our Disney princesses do do start looking a little bit more human um, and a little less, um, what's the word, like, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? caricature-ish that's what I was going for um which I kind of associate with with Snow White very very exaggerated and I think we really see that transformation with Cinderella and Cinderella unlike Snow White she does have plenty of costumes that I I want to talk about today as well um Cinderella as Mercedes said with the whole basing a character on live action that happened with her so she was based on an actress called Helen Davis who was actually then used for quite a few Disney princesses after Cinderella Um, and the creators would study her and her movement and then they would choose that to animate um, into kind of bringing Cinderella alive Um, and so Helen Helen Stanley Helen Stanley that was it did I say Helen Davis yeah I think I I think I know what you've done I think we're going to come on to a Davis very soon we are going to come on to a Davis very soon so Helen Helen Davis (laughs) Cinderella was animated by two of the nine old men you can guess which one if you're familiar with the nine old men Mark Davis, who was one of them. And then we also had Eric Larson, who I'm less familiar with out of, out of the nine old men, but they were responsible for animating her. Um, I think the, the other characters throughout the movie were kind of divvied up between the nine old men and these two were responsible for her. And they both had quite different visions for how she should look. And um, Mercedes, I thought of you when I, I found this out, but Eric Larson actually said that he envisioned her with braids and a pug nose originally um, which I think if we had that on Cinderella it would be quite a different um visual than what she actually represents and I think that he went to that with Walt Disney and he didn't like it and instructed him to give her more of a swan neck so we do have that nice elongated swan neck with Cinderella which is highlighted in one of her costumes which we will talk about in a little bit and I think with Cinderella she has one of the most iconic looks, right, because of that transformation scene, which we know is one of Walt Disney's favourite bits of animation out of any of the Disney movies. It is truly, truly stunning. But also the glass slippers, very, very iconic. We have had lots of designers and creators take these as inspiration and make them as modern shoes today. Mercedes, I believe you have a pair from Owl, Aldo, is it, that you've got them? 
Correct. Yeah, Aldo. Yeah. And also with the dress, let's talk about the iconic dress. There's the whole blue silver scenario as well, where we see it as silver in the movie. But then for marketing purposes, we see that as blue. When you meet Cinderella in the parks, when you see her in the shows and parades, she Mm -hmm. is in blue from a marketing perspective. So let's, before we get into that, let's actually talk a little bit about how she starts off. So Cinderella, obviously we have her in her, I don't want to call it rags now that we've spoken about Cinderella rags. I don't really think it's fair. Well, actually, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we actually see a dress before that. We do. We see her in her her night her nightgown. Um, oh no! Before that, I was a child. We do. You're quite correct. I can't remember what she wears then. Well, it's quite sad actually because as a child, she's in a beautiful dress because her dad's around. So she's wearing. I think it's a blue dress. I think that actually is blue. A blue dress, if my memory serves me correctly. She's by the fountain with her father, sort of petting a, a horse, I think. And then it pans up to the window, and you've got Drusella and Anastasia staring down, and they're just wearing miniature versions of the dresses that we see them wear later on. So it's actually bit of, a bit of a foreshadowing. Is unfortunately Cinderella's kind of finery and her nice dresses end but yes and then and then we go into the nightgown we do yeah and the nightgown sort of it it kind of gives that naivety to her we don't see it in her for very long because then straight away she hops into the shower and then she comes out and gets into her cleaning outfit I want to call it not rags which is very muted in tone it's brown it's green it's beige it's very there's just not a lot going for it. I think the colours actually wash her out quite a lot. They don't really do her any favours. But it's not as raggedy as, say, Snow White's cleaning maid outfit, which, um, yeah, kind of shows that maybe maybe she does have a choice of outfit to wear. And we see her put her hair in that nice little bow. So I think she does take a little bit of pride in her appearance but it's yeah she's not she's not blessed in uh in having a, a big wardrobe choice and then obviously we go from that and then we see her creating the pink gown um for the ball originally which she gets from a book the inspiration from that I really really love this pink gown I really really enjoy it and I'm actually really sad that we don't get to see her in it for longer um it always struck me as quite of a weird choice that she has the blue beads with it and I know that they're beads that the mice have stolen but it just seems like a bit of a weird contrast with the pink and the blue um and then obviously we get another version of this dress when Drusilla and Anastasia absolutely rip it to shreds um, and I didn't realise this, but that dress is actually based on a, a dress that was created by Salvador Dali in, I think it was 1938. So ahead of this film's time. And if you have a look at that dress, you can kind of see it's called, I think it's called Dress of Tears or Dress of Tears, something like that. Or the Tears, the Tears dress. I don't know. It's something like that. But it is, it's very much like a kind of silky, pinky number in um, kind of different levels and different layers. So you can kind of see where they got the inspiration of that from. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I I didn't know that. I've just Googled it. You're absolutely spot on, Tash. It's the tears dress or the tears dress. I guess that's the nice thing, right? The irony, she's crying and it's torn, so you can interpret it either way. Um, Yeah, 1930s gown. That's amazing. I didn't know that. I just want to touch on the beads quickly because it leads on very nicely to the next dress you're about to talk about. I wonder, knowing what we know now about colour in that movie, and especially how it's been restored in recent years, if the blue necklace is meant to just be pearls? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of like when I would have seen it years and years ago when it hadn't have been restored because I know that this is one of the movies that a lot of people criticize now for how much it's been restored like all grain has basically been taken out and we don't get half as much detail in things like that gown and also her wedding dress at the end we don't get nearly as much detail as we did and I think that is just an example of how sometimes restoring these things isn't always for the greater good we do lose a lot of the original quality so quite possibly you could be you could be correct there well maybe do you know I'm looking at it again they're they're too bright they're almost green I think they're meant to be jade Mm, maybe like jade but uh yeah 
pearls like because yeah. you can get those can't you I think yeah. I think it's going to be jade but yeah you're right they're they're like teal and I don't like the bow in her hair with that as well like I think it's it's the perfect dress right because if she went to the ball looking like that she'd look perfectly fine but there's a better option just around the corner exactly it's not a standout dress so then of course we have this transformation sequence which I do think arguably is the best transformation that we see in a Disney movie as I said Walt Disney was no stranger to saying that this was his favorite animated sequence and it is beautiful we see her go from those rags into that beautiful beautiful huge ball gown and it really is a showstopper this one right and it sparkles and it's just beautiful and then the thing that I was stuck and again going with the necklace thing we've got those jade green and pearls and then we've got that black choker and I was really thinking about that black choker because I've always found it really really jarring but I've never really thought about why she has it because I was like I don't really think it's like of the time of the fashion and so I actually did a bit of research into this and it actually signifies power having a a black choker and especially because with Cinderella a lot of her beauty is kind of you know inside she's a very kind soul and she's very plain in the beginning of the movie and we don't kind of realize her her beauty I guess until she's in this amazing amazing dress so with the um with the black choker it symbolizes her fearlessness and the fact that she knows what she wants and she's not afraid to go out and get it she is actually quite courageous even if that is not her direct intention so I thought that was quite interesting that is interesting. There's also a technical reason why she's probably got the black choker as well. So there's an old animation hack, and you'll notice this all the time now with early animation, like dog collars and um, yeah, shirts, necklaces, that kind of thing. It's often a bit of a cop out, and I particularly think it might have been helpful for the transformation scene. If you've got something quite... Uh, quite obvious around the neck like a big thick black choker you can animate the head and the body separately so this is something that disney were doing early 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 doors um but yeah that's another reason possibly for having a necklace and it's why a lot of characters will have a necklace or a tie or something because it's much easier to animate interesting yeah i did not i did not know that yeah that but that would make make perfect sense um And then, yeah, I guess there is that whole debate over the colour of the dress. So people, I think, when you think of Cinderella now, you probably do think of her in blue because that is how she's marketed when we see her in that classic Disney lineup of all the princesses. Her dress is clearly blue. When we see her in the parks, her dress is clearly blue. If you want to buy a Cinderella dress for a little girl from a Disney store, it is a blue dress. Um, but this, the dress in the movie is so clearly white. So it just brings it onto the question of why it was changed and the speculation that it was changed because it makes it clearer and it makes it stand out more. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the dress does look blue in the movie in the ballroom scene when her and the prince are dancing and they go into um, the shadows, like they're kind of dancing in the shadows. And I think at the time, blue was kind of representing that darkness and it was used quite a lot in animation to represent kind of shadow effects so that is definitely where the blue of the dress comes from it's not just a random thing and also we do see a blue tint to the dress as well if you think about that transformation scene it's almost like a very very light silvery blue and I think that is to do with the fact that we've got so much other blue visuals in the background you know the whole kind of blue sky it's dark at night we've got the blue pond that she's standing by so that the blue birds there's so much blue in that scene and I think it's that kind of camera eye trickery when you look at a color and you look at something else in it it almost changes what that color is so we almost see the blue in that dress even if it's not really there does that make sense It does. And I think you've hit on something important, right? There is a girl on YouTube and I cannot for the life of me remember what her YouTube handle is, but I send these videos to Tash every now and again, and I'm going to link to this in the podcast description. So do check it out. She studies the Disney princesses um, and she studies all kinds of things. I, I watched one the other day where she was talking about the role of a mermaid over history and how mermaids have been depicted in Hollywood. She does these amazing, amazing videos. And she did one just about Cinderella's dress and it was like an hour long and I watched it in its entirety. And it's been proven that the dress isn't blue. It is not blue. And we'll come to talk about where that blue came from in a second. But 
for me, it's not white either. I think it's silver. I genuinely think that Disney tried to create silver. And what's happened is it's given us this grayish off blue color. It's a little bit like for anyone that's ever worked in marketing or with printers, sometimes when you try and create things in gold, if you're not using a foil or a metallic, it comes back as like a green olive color. I think it's a similar thing. It's very difficult to capture silver in 2D animation with, you know, ink and paint girls using real paints. So for me, it's silver. I think you're um, definitely right there because if you think about that scene when the fairy godmother creates that dress the sparkles come out of her wand so it would make sense that her dress is kind of the same color as those sparkles it's almost like those sparkles are used to create the aesthetic of her dress definitely definitely and the gloves are white the sleeves are white the petticoat is white the dress is a different color but for me I genuinely believe it was meant to be a a silver I think that's where they were going with it now we know this for a fact because they're the bluebirds are in one of the scenes with her and they're blue and she isn't in blue and lots of historians have kind of put other things that are blue from the movie side by side with this dress it isn't blue tash is spot on it does look blue for a slight moment in the ballroom it's lighting there is no other moment in that movie where that dress looks blue it's not blue it's a silver dress now the film has been restored and it does look more blue in some of the restorations but that doesn't mean it's blue in the original right that just means the people that have restored it have made it more blue this all happened when the Disney Princess franchise was established. And as I say, if you find this specific topic an interesting one, I am going to link to this YouTube video because it's fascinating. When the Disney Princess franchise first came to be, you had Snow White in her mismatched dress. You had Sleeping Beauty, who we're going to come to talk about in a minute, um, who's another controversial dress color person. And you also had Ariel, And Ariel was in her pink dress originally. And well, I'm just going to spoil it now because otherwise this story doesn't make sense. Aurora was originally always depicted in blue, which is the color that she wears for the majority of her movie. Cinderella was in a whitish gray. It wasn't until Belle came along. It kind of makes no sense. I, I don't really know why this was, but Belle came along and Jasmine came along and you've got Jasmine in green and then Cinderella's in this like gray and Aurora's in blue and Ariel was in pink and whatever that they swapped Ariel to a teal-colored dress that she never wears, Aurora got the pink dress and Cinderella's became blue. Now, you could say it's easier to market blue or whatever in Disney parks and things like that, you know, blue is easier. But she did have a lighter gray dress, even in the Disney parks, until this Disney Princess franchise really kicked off in the early 90s. Now, I don't remember that because I was born in 1991. So this is literally happening when I was a toddler. um, And I probably didn't pay an awful lot of attention there to the colors of the Disney Princess franchise. But if you do find this interesting, the Disney Princess franchise evolution and how their dresses have changed over time is a whole other thing that we could get into. It's absolutely fascinating. And it does have a bit of a chain reaction by putting Aurora... Um, or, or Ariel, sorry, in her pink dress, Aurora naturally had to go in blue, which meant Cinderella could stay in the grey. But as soon as they decided that Aurora needed to go to blue, then they kind of created this light blue. It, it's very confusing, um, but there's tons of footage and online. There's visuals of how the Princess franchise has, has evolved over time. There's YouTube videos, as I say, like it's a whole, whole thing. But we are settling it once and for all on the Chat Disney podcast. Cinderella's dress was not blue in the original. Like, it's been debunked. It was never blue in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I also think that if you think of how stunning that dress is, if it was the silvery effect that they were going for, that dress compared to, say, Snow White's dress or Aurora's dress, it would just stand out from that line. So I think by making her blue it kind of fits in and complements the other princesses a little bit more when you have them together in their lineup yes and this was a consideration for little girls with merchandise as well because they didn't want it to look like a wedding dress which is another big thing so there we are um the final thing I guess to talk about Cinderella that we haven't really spoken about again is her hair and I think once again 
her hair is something that and just immediately shows you the time period so this movie came out in the 19 in, in 1950 but interestingly disney were actually working on it as early as the 1930s they wanted to do it as a silly symphony but they found that the narrative was way too complex to work as a silly symphony. And they were like, nah, this needs to be a feature length movie. So they were working on this as early as the 1930s. Obviously the movie was made in the late forties before being released in 1950. And you can so tell with her hair, right? It's it's so forties. Like if you just Google 1940s hairstyles, it is so quintessentially Cinderella's hair in this film. Initially, in some of the concept art, she had more kind of Renaissance style curls and also her outfit, even her sort of rag cleaning outfit was much more affluent, much more elegant than the final dress that we see in the end. So I think they probably decided to tone it down a little bit, move away from the kind of historical Renaissance style that they went for with Snow White's design. And actually, they focused on a modern contemporary 1940s hairstyle with a ball gown that, to be honest with you, was probably quite contemporary as well. People did wear the big white gloves and things like that in the 1940s, especially if they were going to a dinner or a ball. So um, a big jump, I think, in terms of how they approach Snow White's dress with Cinderella's and even her wedding dress, so 1940s. We haven't got to the wedding dress yet, but we think about, um, you know, Grace Kelly um, and her wedding dress. It's so similar to the dress that we see Cinderella in when she gets married. Yeah, absolutely. I love Cinderella's wedding dress. I mean, it's not what I would wear, but I, it, out of all the Disney wedding dresses, it is by far my favourite. It's just so elegant and classy. I completely agree. And it does give kind of, um, you know, Kate Middleton, Meghan Markle vibes if you compare it to their dresses. So even now, like, you know, 80 years on or whatever, it's still just the perfect traditional wedding dress. Absolutely. So Snow White versus Cinderella, who in general, like if we're summarising the the looks in terms of outfits, who are you? who's your favourite? I mean, it's Cinderella hands down, right? Not only does she have more, for me, I think it's going to be hard as we kind of go through all of these princesses to beat Cinderella's original ball gown. I'm not a fan of it in the blue, but that silver that we've just spoken about, that original dress design from the movie, I don't I don't know that there's any other outfit that's going to beat that for me. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I think you might be right there. Might have to agree with you on that one. Well, we will see if this third and final princess for today can come out on top. So we've spoken about her a lot and there's been a bunch of spoilers, but we are, of course, going to talk about Aurora, Sleeping Beauty, Briar Rose, whatever you want to call her. Now, she's a really interesting one because, again, 1955, this movie came out. So not long after Cinderella. And again, that kind of modern approach, I say modern, obviously modern for the 50s, was definitely something that was adhered to. Once again, Helen Stanley was the sort of physical actress inspiration for Aurora. So she, you know, she obviously did a really good job on Cinderella. She got her job back when it came to Princess Aurora. But Princess Aurora is actually the first Disney character whose design was actually based on a real living person. And this was Audrey Hepburn. So Audrey Hepburn was obviously really in her prime in the 1950s. She was a really, really famous, talented actress throughout the UK, US. She was a Hollywood star. And that sort of very slender physique and very slight kind of long body is what actually inspired Aurora's physique as well and it's it's an interesting one because you know she's an animated character but you do get that kind of willowiness from her and even now when they're casting Disney princesses in the parks the height restriction or the height requirement I should say to play Princess Aurora is actually taller than some of the other princesses because she does just give that very lean kind of tall slender vibe doesn't she so um yeah interesting to me that Audrey Hepburn was the inspiration there however facially very different Princess Aurora's Aurora is the first and only I believe Disney princess that has purple colored eyes interesting never thought about that before yeah, Elizabeth Taylor had purple eyes, but I'm pretty sure she wasn't a thing in the 50s. So I don't think it was inspired after Elizabeth Taylor. I could be wrong. But yeah, she has violet eyes. So they obviously wanted her to look 
kind of otherworldly and like just just really like unobtainably beautiful I guess I mean yeah you think about her golden hair like she is I would say arguably one of the most beautiful of the Disney princesses so yeah her hair once again animated and designed by Mark Davis and her hair was inspired you know these long golden curls that you spoke about Tash by Art Nouveau and also Art Deco and it's like if that's not unobtainable right Art Deco inspired hair with violet eyes and the body of Audrey Hepburn um yeah it's just this very like unobtainable beauty standard absolutely and I know like with her as well like the final design of her was more refined than the um previous two Disney princesses so there was a lot more attention to detail and I think you can definitely see that with her if you compare her next to Cinderella I kind of feel like Cinderella's complexion is she's just eyes, nose and mouth, right? Obviously eyebrows and stuff. But I feel like we get a little bit more detail. There's a little bit more something to Aurora in terms of her facial appearance. I I would agree. I, I and, and makeup, like she has like an eyeshadow and a blush and a lipstick. So she's definitely a really good one to end on today as we kind of move into our next generation of princesses next week. Now, when it comes to her costuming, unfortunately, and I, I hope I've counted this correctly, I believe she only has two dresses, obviously one of which changes colour, um, we do see her in some sort of hooded blue cape at some point. But even as a baby, we only see her in a blanket. She doesn't really have an outfit um, per se. And there's no wedding at the end of this movie either. So, yeah, just the two dresses going back to, I guess, the original roots of Snow White. So, again, she's got her kind of rag outfit. I, I don't know why this is like a trope. Um, and And oddly as well, Forgive me if I'm wrong. When she goes out picking berries, I don't think she's got any shoes. Um, you might be right. I know she wears that kind of like shawl draped over her, doesn't she? I can't think. There's I'm definitely just... a sequence where she's dancing with the owl and she hasn't got shoes on. But I don't know if she takes them off or maybe she just doesn't have shoes. I'm just Googling because... <laughs> I I need to, yeah when she's dancing she's not got any shoes she wears kind of little black dolly shoes when she's wearing yeah. Rose outfit like around the parks and so on but I don't think she wears shoes in the animation maybe I could not. be wrong I could be wrong I'm happy to be proven wrong but yeah I can't I can't think of her I actually really like her her rags outfit again I know it's like a little bit drab as these kind of rags outfits are all meant to be um like it's you know gray brown black but I actually really like it I like it with the matching headband and it's that kind of it's a bit of a weird concoction it's got that like little white collar and then it's almost like a body like a black bodice over like a shirt type thing and then the flowing skirt I actually quite like it it's interesting it's like it's almost like their peasant attire and I think I'm right about the shoes because I found an image of her in the cottage again with no shoe I don't think she wears shoes I think it's like giving Rapunzel I don't know why these princesses don't wear shoes weird because like it doesn't go with it like a pair of black pumps yeah like Cinderella has those black pumps right like to flip them on it doesn't kind of go with like when I think of a barefoot princess I think of Elsa at the end of Frozen um two where she's running along in those leggings that perfectly suits being barefoot this look does look does not suit being barefoot like she's going out to the woods in a shawl why would she not where would she put on short a shawl and not shoes I agree that you're going to the woods yeah there's twigs and things on the ground and like animals droppings like why on earth would you not wear shoes but anyway there we are and then of course for her 16th birthday the fairy godmothers make her her dress that she wears for the rest of the movie and this is definitely a dress fit for a princess she must have been very confused when they gave her this dress it's very very different to the briar rose outfit that we see at the beginning of the movie and i happen to really really love this dress i think that the you know we're talking about kind of hair and things like that i don't think princess aurora is a dress that's ne- a, a character that's necessarily 
set in the time, you know, in terms of the style. We spoke about Audrey Hepburn and the kind of contemporary influences there. And I do think that they did a really good job with sort of bringing a, a, a 1950s princess into the world. But actually, again, it's very kind of... um I don't even know what time period, but that very sort of triangular, quite angular neckline with that fairy tale hair. And it's it's my favorite castle, the Sleeping Beauty Castle with the square trees. It's a real fairy tale movie. And I think that that's the influence for the dress, right? Rather than the 1950s, there's nothing 1950s about that dress at all, um, or even 1940s, to be honest, because that's when they would have been making this in the late 40s, early 50s. Now, a couple of things. First of all, the studio actually couldn't agree on the color of Princess Aurora's dress. Half of the animators thought it looked better in pink. The other half thought it looked better in blue. And that's why they wrote the make it pink, make it blue into the story, which I didn't know. And I thought was a really cool little Easter egg. Yeah, I really, really love that. I think it's really, really clever. Um, and a way to please all parties. I feel like, is it controversial? I actually prefer her blue dress and her pink one. I don't think that is controversial. I think most people prefer it. And actually, she wears the blue for the majority of the movie. It's, as we were talking about with the Disney Princess franchise, it was only because Ariel arrived in her pink dress that they changed Aurora to blue. Um, or no, sorry, it was after that. It was Jasmine. She she was always blue. And then I think it was Jasmine coming along. I don't know. But anyway, they changed Cinderella to blue and whatever then they put her back in her pink so yeah it's fascinating to me that whenever you meet aurora in the disney parks now she's in pink and whenever you buy any sleeping beauty merchandise for little girls she's in pink because she doesn't really wear pink in the film at all no she doesn't and i think it is that thing like talking about you know i think after we finish this series it'll be interesting to do kind of like a comparison summary because once you get to Princess Jasmine, the whole aesthetic in terms of costuming completely changes. I mean, I know it changes with Ariel, right? Because obviously she's a mermaid and she's in a tail and a bikini for most of the movie, but she does still wear those kind of very princessy dresses, whereas we don't really get that from Jasmine so much. But I think that if you compare these three classic princesses, they're all kind of similar. We've got a flowing skirt, a loose flowing skirt with like a pet white petticoat underneath. We've got quite a tight fitting bodice. And then we've got either puff sleeves or we've got like um, with, yeah, Cinderella and um, Snow White both have puff sleeves. And then with um, Aurora has a kind of a bit more pointy, aren't they? So we've got kind of like a statement sleeve, I would say. So they're all kind of similar in that way. And then I think as we get to the Renaissance, it completely changes and they are just so different from one another. They are. And I think that that is because of history and, and location. So all three of these princesses are classic European fairy tale princesses from stories gone by. So if we look at Sleeping Beauty, obviously, she was the titular character from the Charles Perrault tale. Charles Perrault was like, I think it was like 15th century or something. It's a really old story, a French story, La Belle Le Bois d'Aumont, which literally translates to the Sleeping Beauty in the woods or in the forest. And obviously, it wasn't that well known as a story. It really plummeted into the mainstream because of Tchaikovsky with the Russian ballet and the Sleeping Beauty ballet. Interestingly, Aurora, can you guess what color she's normally depicted in? Um... So I mean, you've got 50-50 chance. <laughs> yeah, no, she's always in pink, interestingly. So that sort of big pink tutu that we think of when we think of a prima ballerina, that is often what Sleeping Beauty wears in the Tchaikovsky Ballet is a, a big pink tutu because she's, you know, the main character, this beautiful character, this character that everyone obviously is, you know, meant to pay attention to. So it's interesting that Disney kind of shied away from that and were like, nah, we tried pink, we didn't love it, we're going to put her in blue. Um, but yeah, again, I think that's the big difference here, right, is that you've got these three very European, very white, very um, royal characters. And as we move into the Renaissance next week, we get to see some different women become the Disney princesses. Absolutely. And I'm very excited to dig into that. In terms of uh, costuming, that's where it kind of picks up for me. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I think we've had a strong start, right? I think if we look at Snow White's dress, which is this real hodgepodge of different eras, different references, different colours, to something more refined, like Aurora's final dress with that beautiful gold crown and that gold collar, I feel like even in this short section, there's a huge improvement. Absolutely. I totally agree. So... As always, do get in touch and let us know what you think of these Disney princesses, Disney princess costumes. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Chat Disney, or you can find us on Elon Musk's new platform X at Chat Disney UK. I don't know how much longer we're going to be on X for, which is Twitter for those of you that aren't in the know. We we don't have a Threads account yet. We might get Threads. We might find something else. We might even move to TikTok. Who knows? But for now, um, you can still find us on Twitter as well. Absolutely. And we are now going to move into the, ma- the main part, the final part of our section. What's this? Okay, so Mercedes, I am thinking of something. It could be anything to do with the whole universe of of Disney and you have to guess what it is. Do we normally do this in 20 questions or do we do it in a minute? I can't remember. I think we'll try and do recently with 20 questions has been quite interesting. We've sort of almost hit 20 a few times. So yeah, let's go for 20. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Um, anything at all. Gosh, the world's my oyster. Okay. Is it a character? Yes. Good. We're off to a flying start. Is that character from any of the three movies that we've discussed today? Yes. Okay, good, good. Are they in Snow White? No. Are they in Cinderella? Yes. Good. Okay. Are they an animal? Yes. Okay, are they a good animal? Uh, no. Are they Lucifer? Yes. There we go. That was that was quite an easy one. That um, was nice and simple. Okay, shall I try and think of one? Go on. Okay. Uh, uh, okay, cool. I've got something horrible. Oh, thanks. I gave you a nice easy one. Um, does it have anything to do with anything we've discussed today? Yes. Okay. Is it a character? No. Okay. Is it an animator? No. Is it an, an a piece of clothing? No. Is it a setting? No. Is it a you said no as if I was on like the right track. It's it's not a setting, it's not a piece of clothing, it's not a character, is it a prop? Yes. Ooh, okay. Is it in Cinderella? No. Is it in Sleeping Beauty? Yes. Is it the spinning wheel? No. Oh, okay. Is it the cake? No. Is it the sword? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I thought of Prince Philip's sword, but there very, we are. Very random. <laughs> well, I think it's because we were talking about the fairies like conjuring stuff up and that seems to be a theme right like the three good fairies make princess aurora's dress and the fairy godmother makes the dress for cinderella so i I don't know i was in that headspace obviously they give the shield and the the sword the sword of truth and the shield of something hope destiny i don't know so yeah cool wow there we go if you got it in uh, less questions than me, oh, that doesn't really work with this, does it? Because people won't know. Um, anyway, <laughs> on that note, we should end it here for today. And we will be back continuing this series next week, talking all about the Renaissance pe- period, the Renaissance princesses. We will see you then. See you then. Bye for now. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.